0: Hello and welcome back to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast uh, after our summer break. It is Wednesday the 10th of August and I'm Chris Eddington taking you through this week's stuff. And um, on this week's podcast we take a look at the future prospects for the dry freight market as Ukraine restarts grain exports and China struggles to maintain its gargantuan consumption Vinyl. We also shown a spotlight on the scrap market with our special guest this week, as well as an update on the fast-changing and all the rage market, that being. Carbon, But first, a look at the news. Well, there seems to be a glimmer of hope for President Biden as the Democrats managed to pass through the Senate the misleadingly named Inflation Reduction Act, which earmarks $369 billion for climate and clean energy programmes, a minimum of 15% tax on large corporations and a new 1% tax on share buybacks. Four ships have departed from Ukraine export hubs under the new Black Sea Grain Corridor, as the fragile deal between Ukraine and Russia continues to hold. Commercial vessels around Taiwan moved away from six closure zones during China's military drills, which have been sparked by the controversial visit to the island by the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Oil supplies have been halted from Russia via the Druzhba pipeline, which has Used to send crew to Slovakia, Czech Republic, and Hungary, uh, but now no more, as a row over payments related to EU sanctions goes up another gear. And Glencore announced a $18.9 billion profit for the first half of this year, as its coal business mainly reaped the reward of the turmoil in energy markets, posting record profits there. But what have we seen in terms of week-on-week index changes? Is obviously Tuesday, the 2nd of August, versus Tuesday, the 9th of August. In the dry freight markets, well, in the Cape Size 5TC, that's that's come off 3,826 week on week, a drop of 23%, uh, ending yesterday 12,521 on the index. On the Panamax 4TC, that's dropped uh, slightly down to 16,108 or down 4.7%. On the Supermaxes 10TC, that's uh, dropped below $20,000 a day now, down 2,530 week on week or 12.3%. Uh, on the iron ore market, that's still clawing to levels above the $100, having been 113.30 a week ago. Uh, yesterday closed 108.80, down about 4%. And then on the crude markets, fuel oil markets, crude has dropped below that hundred dollar level, ninety five seventy eight uh, at the time of the close of the uh, FIS fuel report yesterday evening. Uh, that is down about five bucks. Uh, and then in terms of the sing point five percent, obviously in the main very low sulfur fuel oil that had been six hundred eighty three dollars forty five uh, closer report on their front future there, uh, and actually ended yesterday at six sixty three fifty five. So a slight move down around about twenty dollars there. On the tankers, uh, as we've been noting in multiple reports recently on our analysis uh, which you can view on our app, the uh, tanker market has seen a bit of a resurgence recently. So now we're seeing on the TD3C that's the very large crew carriers 5855 world scale and the TC2TC5 the product carriers 35889 on the TC2TC5 265 spot 83. All up above, uh, all up, up across the board, uh, and actually, well, slightly uh, up, but uh, significantly up from where we were a year ago. Those who remember those rates on the steel markets, Northwest European steel has continued its slide down uh, and now dropped below the 800 uh, euro level, having been just above 825 uh, on Tuesday, the 2nd of August. That's now well below. And the EUAs, that's the compulsory carbon markets, had been 81 euros 95 and closed yesterday 85 euros 93. So continuing to move up towards that $100 level after the collapse that we saw with uh, the imposition of those Russian sanctions and the exodus of money out of the carbon markets to pay for for margins in the gas markets. Uh, So we're slowly seeing that creep back up towards those levels. Let's first on this podcast go to Kerry Deal, our head of business development here at FIS. Now, Kerry, there's never a dull moment in the dry freight markets. Um, no, it's, no, there isn't. It's worth noting that when we left this podcast for the summer break on the 22nd of June, markets were at, this is indexes, 19,430 for Capes, 23,834 for Panamaxes, 27,224 for Supermaxes, And now we're looking at index levels at 12,521 for capes, 16,000 just above for panamaxes, and just shy of 18,000 for supermaxes. Basically wiping (laughs) a third of freight rates in a month and a half.
1: Yep. Well, the dog days of August will certainly seem a very apt description, I think, of the recent dry market to most shipowners. The market really has been a dog. The Cape Size market last week posted heavy losses amid an oversupply of tonnage in the Pacific region, sluggish activity in the Atlantic. That pressured TC rates to sub $12,000 at one stage. Iron ore shipments out of the Pacific were actually really strong last week and have remained above the seasonal highs during the last nine weeks. Weekly Australian iron ore exports increased 16% last week to 19.5 million tons. Despite this, rates have been dragged down by, frankly, missing activity across all the other key regions, in particular Brazil, where iron ore exports were 32% lower week-on-week at 6.2 million tons. In the east, we've seen excessive tonnage supply and an unwillingness as of late of many owners to ballast towards Brazil, thinking it's already quite crowded over there. Uh, That's pushed C5 rates down for much of the last week, certainly falling from $9.70 to a low of $7.7 per metric ton late last week before we found a floor seemingly and a little bit of support came back on Friday and early this week. And the Atlantic Valley was in the market for vessels on that C-3 route from Tubara to Qingdao, but it was not enough to keep rates steady. They drifted down last week from $24 earlier in the week on second half August loading dates to just shy of 22 bucks for early September loadings. The paper market has shed quite a lot of value as well uh, over the past week with the front month moving from region 22,000 to a low last week of 17,000 before valiantly trying to make up some ground in the past few sessions on very thin volumes with September Cape 5 TC hovering around 19,750 value this morning on FIS Live and the Q4 at 20K. Um, So, you know, we are seeing a few people speculate this could be a floor right now. A little bit early to probably decide that. I'll come on to that in a minute. Panamax is faring very little better than the big ships, actually, over the past week. Lower activity in both basins. The activity has been something of a mixed bag in the Atlantic, with grain demand beginning to slow, while on the mineral side, volumes seemed marginally healthier. Most support coming out of the U.S. Gulf, with fresh demand for end-of-August dates and grain cargoes, redelivery, sink Japan, rain-sharing, those fixed around 25 250 for most of last week in the Asian market. Indonesian coal has continued to be the main support factor, uh, and there's been limited activity out of Australia. This caused rates to drift down against a fairly long tonnage list out there in the Pacific. And after reaching a peak in the previous week, coal shipments saw volumes start to drop a little. I will also come on to this in a bit. Um, this echo China, which has completed probably its peak seaborne thermal coal buying as is usual over the summer now, according to the China Coal Transport and Distribution Association. Coal cargoes via Indonesia redelivery South China, fixing around 11,500, up to 13,000 last week, Um, but on the other hand, very, very little support generated elsewhere in the Pacific. The paper market, despite gapping down sharply in the middle of last week, towards the end of last week, And for the last two days, sentiment appears to have been getting a lift from the big ships, being dragged up by the capes a bit. The September 4 TC paper clawing its way up from a low of 17,100 last Thursday to 17,800 this morning value on FIS Live, while Q4 is at 17,850. Now, there are a couple of interesting factors I think we need to address, one being... The proverbial elephant in the room, especially as it relates to supers and panas, which is the Ukraine grain deal and its potential impacts. Um, Look, while there's no doubt that any deal that allows Ukrainian grains to move is objectively a good thing, both for the impending global food crisis and the freight market, I do think we need to keep things somewhat in perspective, Chris. Uh, so far somewhere in the region of 300,000 tons of wheat and corn have moved across a dozen vessels. Compare this, you know, to nearly 700 shipments a month prior to the outbreak of the war. So it's it's a really big difference. We can see that the, the scale of movement is simply not comparable as of yet to where we were before the war.
0: But this is a, a situation where, I mean, we've discussed previously that there's this is not just a layman's view of looking at this market and going, "Well, they've agreed it; they can just get it out now." There are multiple other things in terms of test ships, in terms of insurance, which Absolutely. need to be sorted out before this. The is-
1: insurance is probably one of the biggest issues right now. And while it is true that the, the the Lloyd's Market Committee is trying to, and the Joint War Committee are trying to facilitate some way, some market to allow these ships to gain insurance, there, um, I was I was just talking to. Uh, A friend of mine in the market the other day saying that, you know, they're being quoted well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars for a 10-day trip um, just to to enter the war zone at the moment um, in additional insurance. So you're looking at huge costs here that needs to be passed on to charterers. Um, We need to test out how safe this is for a while before those fall. Uh, You know, the good news is that I am hearing from people in the market uh, that the big grain houses are all out there with cargo. Now, um, so they are procuring grain. They are trying to get ships, but this is going to be a slow process, right? It's going to be slow to actually get the wheels in motion, and I think the concern is also probably that this deal lasts for 120 days as it stands. So by the time we get everything in motion, how much longer will we have to ship? It's true. This grain. It's true. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, it's it's objectively a good thing for the market. Will it help to hopefully create a floor in the dry market? Yes. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves in terms of the volumes moving.
0: And I just wanted to point out some some nice figures. Uh, John B will be very happy with the fact <laughs> that I'm picking out some some figures in terms of, and uh, this is probably most pertinent to the cake market because I'm talking about iron ore uh, volumes here. Yeah. So if you look in terms of this is S&P global um, market intelligence data, if you're looking for the last seven months... Uh, China imported some 626.8 million tonnes of iron ore, but that was down 3.4% or 21.8 million tonnes compared to the previous year. year. So in terms of questions of Cape of Market finding a flaw about the future, where is this going to go? And the big question mark in China is one, COVID, two, yep. Is it going to restart a lot of these infrastructure projects and be with the same fervor that it was previously when it was doing 6% a year economically? Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and I don't know that you can, if I'm being honest. I mean, you know, does every dollar go just as far as it did a few years ago on these infrastructure projects? How much more, how many more bridges do you need um, is, is a question worth asking. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I don't think that the floor is necessarily going to come from any kind of massive increase in iron ore shipments, um, although one can always hope. Um, I think the swing factor here is going to be thermal coal, uh, particularly as we start heading into the winter months, the autumn and winter months. Now, one more factor I think we especially need to watch carefully in the coming week or two. Uh, for the Panas and the Capes, is the fact that the domestic price cap on thermal coal in Indonesia has meant that many Indonesian miners are choosing to export 100% of their thermal coal production. This has left stockpiles at Indonesian power stations domestically dangerously low. I think we need to be a little bit wary of this, as it is pretty similar to the conditions that led to the Indonesian government's decision to, to make an outright thermal coal export ban earlier this year. We're not there yet, But we are hearing reports that some individual miners that have been deemed to have flouted regulations are already being hit with export bans. So watch this space because that will make for a very interesting and volatile market. So
0: what you're saying, Kerry, is that with all this talk about the greening environment, about greening the economy, about the future and everything else, that actually the future of Europe Freight markets, Indonesia, so many places is about coal. 100%.
1: 100%. Coal will be the swing factor. Coal will be the rescuing factor of the freight market this year. and Europe's going to use a hell of a lot of it this winter. I think there's no doubt about it. Next,
0: let's get an update on the carbon markets with Kieran Batterbury. Now, Kieran, a lot has happened over the summer break in carbon markets. What are the main points that listeners should be made aware of?
2: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I mean, how long have you got? What a few months it's been since we we last spoke. Plenty going on in both voluntary and compliance um, side of the market. Uh, So on the the voluntary, it's kind of been a similar story as to what's happening in most other asset classes with the current macroeconomic scenario we find ourselves in Um, prices for the nature based and technology credits really did decrease on the CME futures contracts. So that's the GEO or the Global Emission Offset Contract and the NGO, the nature based counterpart. Um, So yeah, prices on the paper futures was really decreasing again, purely just down to economic situation. and then that decrease in the paper wasn't actually translating into the physical market. So we kind of was in, in this interesting, um, situation where physical was still pricing at a higher premium and the sellers were still pricing it as they would before any inflation risks or economic recession risks or Ukraine conflict risks were being priced in. Um, now for a, a more contemporary discussion, sort of the past couple of weeks or so, we've started to see those paper prices rise again and close the gap between where the physical underlying projects are actually being priced in the OTC market. Um, and just driving recent gains and dominating the headlines at the moment is a lot of the news coming from India. Um, so last week you saw the GEO contract rise again from about. $2.90 um, and now it's again above $4, um, which is a pretty significant gain. I think on the Friday it gained about 40% um, and a lot of that news could be down to um, India stopping their supply or threatening to stop the carbon credit export um, of their carbon credit offsets um, until their climate goals are met. Um, so this could be a significant shift for the market because obviously Indian credit supplies is quite large, quite a huge supply. Um, If we lose this in a market, you know, geo prices is encapsulating these Indian projects. If we start to lose them or the ones that are currently in circulation um, are taken off the market, it it could be quite a seismic shift for the market. And obviously we don't know what this is going to look at or look like. It could have just been a throwaway comment from a politician, but certainly something to keep an eye on. And it could be um, one of the biggest drivers for prices going forward. Um, And yeah, elsewhere in the market, we're obviously continuing to see more standardization and institutional buy-in. Um, Most noteworthy is probably the ICE Exchange launching 10 new nature-based futures contracts which should um, serve the physical market better with more efficient hedging tools which is great to see and again another huge exchange jumped on the bandwagon and actually listening to what some of the market participants need um, to ensure the structural integrity really of of the market and, and the growth of the market going forward. Um, and now onto compliance markets. The EU ETS has obviously been heavily tied to wider energy markets throughout the summer period, but to, continues to display a bit of an incur, inverse correlation, um, especially with TTF gas. Um, yeah, I'm sure we've all been seeing news regarding energy security throughout most of Europe following the, the conflict in Ukraine. But um, yeah, it's most importantly to keep an eye on what TTF gas prices are doing, especially as gas curbs are, are likely to be implemented in that 15% reduction. And then the impact that that is having on EUA prices, um, yeah. Throughout August, though, the EUA auction supply um, was halved as planned, um, which is just a standard normal procedure. This obviously led to the uh, futures market being quite an interesting um, trading place and seeing a lot of upside there. Um, so yeah, the impact of this reduced supply throughout the month um, is pretty evident if you look at the Dec '22. EUAs that were trading around 76 euros at the end of July, but have since returned to above the 80 80 euro threshold, apologies. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned earlier as well on the podcast, settled at 85 spot 93 yesterday on the 9th.
0: Next, there have been lots of talk in the forest market about Chinese steel production, which has been embattled with the lockdowns and pausing of major construction projects, as well as the grave concern of the finances of the country's property market. Another point looming on the horizon is the big green question mark over how global efforts to decarbonize the world economy will impact the steel industry, with it making up around about 8% of world emissions. An industry that could provide part of this solution is the scrap market. And then we've had a wonderful interview here now from Kerry Deal, who talked to Alberto Zodo, Vice President of Sales at the London Metal Exchange, on this growth
1: market. The LME has, for some years now, had a complex of Ferris contracts, which includes rebar-priced FOB Turkey, scrap-priced CFR Turkey, as well as North American HRC, Northwest Europe HRC, China HRC, and contracts for scrap-priced CFR India and Taiwan. Today I wanted to focus on one particular area, however, and that is the Ferris scrapped contracts. And a particular note, I think, within that complex is the HMS eighty twenty grade scrap futures priced CFR turkey, which has become the most successful scrap futures contract in the market worldwide today. We're lucky enough to be joined today by Alberto Soto to discuss Ferris futures and the scrap in particular with me. Hi Alberto, thanks very much for joining us.
3: Hi, Carrie. Thank you very much for having me here today. I'm really excited to be to be on this podcast.
1: Um, To start, Alberto, can you describe for our listeners who may not be aware why the CFR Turkey contract has become so popular, and in particular why it might be considered, let's say, a benchmark price for the European scrap trade in general?
3: Well, the CFR Turkey scrap market has been, for many, many years, the largest import scrap market in the world, and has been um, a staple of the economic indicators for the region, so I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking with a hedge fund manager in New York, Mm -hmm. and he was telling me that he used to use uh, this uh, index price as a proxy indicator for industrial activity in the European continent.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
3: One thing that I think makes this market uh, very unique is uh, the number of sources of scrap that get into Turkey. Yeah. So a lot of scrap into Turkey comes from North America, from Northern Europe. From South Africa, from all over the world, which brings it uh, to the forefront uh, of what is the global scrap market.
1: And that's because about seventy percent, as I recall, of Turkish production is EAF electric arc furnace production. Is yes. that right? So that's correct. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. And uh, Western Europe is the largest supplier of scrap to Turkey, even though, as you say, it sources from worldwide. Right.
3: Yes, uh, it is. That has changed over time. Uh, America used to be the largest source uh, of scrap for this market. Mm. Yet we have seen uh, European scrap taking the leading role. And uh, probably that's going to be continuous a trend going forward, as there are lots of plans for a new steel production capacity in the United States that may absorb more of the domestic scrap.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. And it's worth noting the U.S. is already heavily reliant on EAF production, so as that increases even further that's probably going to drain U.S. exports out of the market. Um, I, I mean, the growth in volumes on Turkish scrap futures has been really sharp this year, um, with nearly half a million tons of scrap futures traded in July alone. And that, of course, comes against a backdrop of some very, very extreme price movements as well. A lot of this, of course, geopolitically driven um, with the outbreak of the war in Ukraine for spiking prices and seeing them decline extremely rapidly Has this, to you, highlighted the need for hedging in this market? Is that why more people are are trading it at the moment?
3: Well, that's what we hear from uh, companies in the physical market, is that their exposure to steel prices has been creating a lot of headaches. But not just this year. We started hearing these comments more and more frequently as COVID started, because COVID also drove a lot of volatility. Yeah. But just to give a bit of a a frame of reference yeah. of what happened in the last uh, six months, 12 months. When we launched this contract in November 2015, steel scrap prices were $170. <laughs> they doubled to 340 <clears throat> by March 16. Yeah. Well, right now they're at
1: $400. Yeah.
3: And they touched uh, $710 in uh, March.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, they, I mean, the level of volatility there over the last few years is just extreme and, and that predates even the current events, doesn't it? I mean, in addition to highlighting the need for existing users, I guess, to hedge, and this is a message certainly that, that we both hear from clients and that we try to get across, I wanted to know if you're seeing any new types of clients joining. Have you seen new market entrants into, uh, into this arena and are those market entrants new types of clients that are joining the market?
3: We have seen uh, a change in the composition of market participants. Mm -hmm. We are seeing an industry that is evolving on the physical side as well. So we are seeing uh, more um, non-specialized players, so like larger trading houses, uh, larger merchants, natural resources companies, entering the scrub market. That's driven by ESG efforts to greenify their credentials.
1: Well, exactly, yeah
3: and uh, to operate in a market that is seen as to be growing. Because, let's face it, electric arc furnaces do produce much less CO2 per ton of steel than blast furnaces.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, that is really the buzzword today, isn't it? I mean, the catchphrase, if there was one for for steel in general across the world right now, is decarbonization, right? Exactly.
3: And that will be a driver of the growth of the scrap market and of recycling. because
1: as that drive for decarbonization continues. And as we see a growth in EAF production, I know that from our side, we continue to hear, as I'm sure you do, a lot more chatter about a transition towards EAF production, even within Europe. Do you see that that is going to increase usage on this Turkish benchmark? Do you see that there might be a need in future for a different European benchmark? Or do you see that the CFR Turkey with the liquidity that's already built up there will become effectively the regional benchmark and continue to grow?
3: Well, that is a very interesting question, and it's very difficult to foresee going <laughs> to happen yeah. in this market. But certainly, I believe uh, uh, this price uh, to remain a very relevant reference for the global scrap market. Mm-hmm. A big question mark on the emergence of a new price reference is probably China, because uh, a few years ago, it was mooted that China could become a very large exporter of steel scrap, yeah. that China could flood the market with steel scrap so that Chinese exports could become the new price reference globally. Yet what we are seeing is uh, increased scrap production within China and potentially move towards more EAF productions within the country.
1: I was going to say, I mean, EAF production is rapidly rising within China itself. So, you know, do we, do we think that's going to stop them becoming a leading exporter of scrap?
3: Well, potentially, let's also not forget, uh, from a strategic perspective, uh, recycling sort of uh, makes uh, the levels the playing field from an access to resources perspective. Of course. Because everyone can generate scrap because everyone has bridges, old cars, old washing machines. Everyone can generate scrap. You can only mine iron ore where nature puts iron ore. Exactly,
1: exactly. So from a security perspective, of resource perspective than uh, then it does level that playing field yeah. very much. And I guess the final and perhaps the most important question for me here, and one that I always like to, to discuss, I mean, if you're looking at global scrap consumption, it's in the region, I believe, of 630 million metric tons worldwide, right? Yet even the LME scrap futures, the most successful uh, scrap futures contracts out there at the moment trade in the region of 5 to 6 million tons per year. Uh, What needs to be done, in your opinion, to encourage more usage on the futures market?
3: Well, let's not forget that this is a very new tool for the steel industry. Mm -hmm. So for many, many years, uh, the industry did not accept the use of derivatives because while aluminum or uh, copper are chemical elements, And they are pure chemical elements, which you can identify pretty standardized specifications, still as an alloy of iron and carbon. Yeah. So, and especially on scrap, you have uh, multiple uh, varied uh, specifications, Mm -hmm. which created a problem of fragmentation and difficulties of coalescing the industry around the standard. I think we reached the level where uh, CFR Turkey HMS 8020 Mm -hmm. is a standard that people can uh, agree on. And uh, that's why we are seeing an increase in the liquidity.
1: And, and you think that's people learning to normalize their own exposures to that HMS 8020 standard CFR Turkey?
3: I believe so. Mm-hmm. The other point as well is uh, you mentioned 5 or 6 million tons uh, yeah. to be traded on the LME this year. Fingers crossed. Yeah, uh,
1: fingers uh, crossed, exactly.
3: But let's not forget that what we hear in the market is probably 5 or 10 times as much is trading bilaterally uh, in the OTC market and directly with banks, and that's driven by credit considerations.
1: So that hedging is happening to a degree, it's just not happening necessarily across the exchange.
3: Exactly, but we hope as liquidity grows on the LME, credit considerations and the cost of uh, trading on the LME and the, the increase in liquidity Will make it cheaper to trade and attract more volumes.
1: I think it should. I mean, with a lot of people looking at this material as, as perhaps one of the key materials of the future in terms of steel making, um, I think the interest is out there. So, fingers crossed, and thank you so much for coming on to join us and uh, explain to our listeners a little bit more about the product.
0: That's it for this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the freight and quality space, then sign up to our app, FIS Live. You can access that via our website or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Enjoy the rest of your week and join us on the next podcast.